Let's open our Bibles to Zechariah. This is a personal Bible study for me because what I'm going to share towards the end of the study is something that I believe since the mid-1990s, coming, when I was coming back from India one time, and only to see that, that it has actually come to pass. That's just a teaser <laughs> to, for where we're going this evening. Um, I just wanted to do chapter five because I did have 15 minutes of three different videos um, concerning Babylon. And um, I'll just sort of wing it and give you the best information that I can remember that was given. Um, I had pictures um, that we were going to put up on the screen, but obviously that's not happening to, <clears throat> this evening. Bear with my, um, mold is high, pollen's high, bear with my voice. Chapter 5, the flying scroll. We'll just, it's only four verses long, and then I'll come back and we'll comment on it. <clears throat> then I turned and I raised my eyes, and I saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, its width is 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief will be expelled according to what is on this side of the scroll. Every perjurer shall be expelled according to what was written on that side of the scroll. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. Uh, it shall remain in the midst of the, his, his house and consume it with its timber and its stones. As we come to these two visions, which are most highly symbolic and unusual, more unusual than the other visions that we've been studying. The first, the flying scroll, marks a sharp division in the meaning of visions which Zechariah has received. In the first two chapters, God made it clear that he intended to put down all the enemies of Israel, uh, that the nations will become the nations of priests, which God originally intended. God told them this was his desire for them when he brought them out of Egyptian bondage. But because of their sin, only one tribe, which was the tribe of Levi, was chosen for the priesthood. Then in the vision of Joshua and Satan, we learn that the nation first had to be cleansed. Um, and remember the, the command not to repeat the mistakes of your fathers. And they acknowledge that in chapter, in chapter one. Then we went on to um, talk about um, last week, the uh, golden lampstands and um, the foundation being laid by Zerubbabel. And we tied that into the book of Revelation, saying it was a fulfillment, literally, of Revelation chapter 11 of the two witnesses. It says, prophesied by Zechariah. So a clear connection um, last week. Uh, this week, 
Um, let's look at verse 1. We find that I turned and raised my eyes and there was a, a flying scroll. Well, the question is, what is it? And um, um, we're going to see in a minute here that not only is it the word of God, but probably, more than likely, because it's directed towards Israel, probably the, the Ten Commandments. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter um, 2. Give you a moment to get there. And we find here something interesting that he's told to actually eat it. So if you're in chapter 2, let's look at verse 7. And it says, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious that rebellious house, open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations, mournings, and woe. Chapter three through four verses one through four, and then he said, son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll, and then speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll, and he said to me, son of man, feed your belly, fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness, and he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Question, what is he eating but the word of God? And um, now turn with me to Revelation chapter 10. We'll make our first connection between um, uh, Zechariah, Ezekiel. And in chapter 10, we read, and I'm going to read the whole chapter because we've got a little bit of time here. It's simply called the little book. And verse 1, Revelation 10, verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and the left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. To me, this is the most frustrating verse in the entire Bible. Why tell us? Why bring it up? If you're, if, you're, if you're not going to tell us what, what it means. And we'll get more into that when we get to Revelation 10. Verse 5, An angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea, 
and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seven angels, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it, eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Now that's almost direct quote, except we have it bitterness here where we read in Ezekiel that was sweet. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This was the word of God. He was told to eat it, and at the beginning, it was actually sweet. And when you think about the rest of what is coming from this point on in 11, the two witnesses are gonna be killed in chapter 11. Abomination of desolation is gonna be set up. Satan will be kicked out of heaven. When you start reading the book of Revelation, we have some unbelievable promises that have been given to us. We are gonna rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years on this earth. Does that sound sweet? Yeah, I'll give you a new name that only me and you know about, intimacy. That's pretty sweet. But as you begin to digest the book of Revelation, it intensifies with judgments. And so John is taking this little book, which is God's word, and starts out pretty sweet. But then he says, you must prophesy to many people's tongues and nations. Well, um, we know that this is the rest of the book of Revelation, which is very, very bitter. And it only intensifies in the severity of the events that are, that are taking place. Back to Zechariah. Got through one verse. And he said to me, verse two, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, its width is 10 cubits. So it's 30 by 15 feet The size of the scrolls is significant as it is the same size as the holy place, the holy of holies in in the the tabernacle and also the porch of Solomon in the temple and the porch before the temple of the house. 20 cubics was the length according to the breadth of of the house and 10 cubics was its breadth. Um, That was the place where the priests could come and worship According to the law, no one could ever go inside on the other side of the veil, only the high priest, and then only once a year. And then he had to make sure that he, his own personal sins were atoned for. So the scroll, 30 by 15, I imagine it was spread out, writing on both sides. And as Zechariah is seeing it, I'm sure it's probably motioning over the land. And uh, so basically that's just giving us uh, the, the, the dimensions of the scroll itself. Now, 
when we get to verse three, he says, this is a curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief will be expelled um, according to what is on this side of the scroll and every perjurer should be expelled. And when you look at the commandments, uh, four of them pertain to our relationship with the Lord and the other ones pertain to our relationship with, with one another. I'm not supposed to covet anything you have and or um, uh, commit perjury or false accusations. And uh, verse four, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It will enter into the house of the thief. Thou shalt not steal, was one of the laws. And the house of the one who swears falsely by my, my name, thou shalt not bear false witness or, or take the name of the Lord in vain. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with, with timber and stone. So a unique vision that um, Zechariah has here uh, concerning uh, God dealing with uh, Israel and how he is going to deal with them as a nation. The other vision is only six verses long also, and my Bible says the woman in the basket. Now, I'm a big King James fan, and many times King James, the new King James will have a better translation than the King James, but not in this case. And it's important in this case because the word should be instead of basket, it should read ephah. Now, how many of you have the King James Bible here? Doesn't say it says Ephah? Yep, it says Ephah. And that's what it's supposed to. Ephah is a measurement, and I'll get into that and why basket is a very poor translation here. So we find um, let's read five and six. Then the angel who talked with me came out and he said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what it is that goes forth. So I said, what is it? And he said, it's a ephah. If you have the New King James, it says basket there. And uh, it is an ephah that is going forth. And he also said, this is the resemblance throughout the whole earth. Now, underneath mine, it does clarify that the word in the Hebrew, ephah, is a measuring container. And um, so what we have here, and this is important for the rest of our study, because the ephah that goes forth is a dry measure, equal to a little more than a bushel. It was used to measure such commodities as flour and barley. Therefore, the symbol of trade, of trader commerce. Now, this is a very important part for the rest of our Bible study tonight. If it was just a basket that we had in view here, it's not describing that an ephah is used in commerce for buying and selling. And buying and selling is going to be a big part of what our Bible study is going to be about tonight. Verse 7. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and there is a woman sitting inside the basket or the ephah. So now we have a woman who's inside this, um, what would be a equivalent to a little more than a bushel. And we find in this vision, 
is a continuation of judgment upon the sin and, and iniquity of Israel, but it also looks forward to the millennium where sin and iniquity will be removed from the land. Also, it looks forward to the judgment of Babylon, which will precede the millennium, and we will need to go and compare it to Revelation 18, where we see the judgment of commercial Babylon. Revelation 17 pictures the judgment of religious Babylon. God will judge this matter of covetousness. Uh, His command is thou shalt not covet, and God will judge the love of money and the greed that are connected with commercialism. The talent was the largest measure of weight, and it was made of lead. And most common heaven heavy metal, which was employed in all commercial transaction for weighing out money. You used your weights. We find that one of the great sins of Israel when they returned from Babylon was this insatiable love for money and desire for material things. And they even got into, Nehemiah mentioned this, Nehemiah, when he came to them, he had to deal with them uh, with the issue of borrowing and lending money and they would put interest on it. If I gave Mel 10 bucks and said, here's 10 bucks, the law says that I can't charge interest on him. That is in the Mosaic law, it was forbidden. That you, the word they used was usury. So you could borrow money, but you could not put interest and in get, getting more than 10, back, 10 bucks back from Mel. So, it was forbidden, and, um, and this was something that Nehemiah dealt with straight out. But they were different when they came back from Babylon. Um, and even as, as you look at the Jewish world today, um, it doesn't matter what field they're in, there's always a Jew at the top of the pile, and I say that with a lot of love and respect for the Jewish people. But having said that, you don't see too many Jewish farmers, do you? Usually they're involved with business, big business, and big money. But that wasn't the way it was before they went into Babylon. Something happened when they went to Babylon. They came back different. They started charging, lending money to their brothers, but then put on interest in usury. And that was strictly forbidden. So um, Nehemiah got that all straightened out. Now let's go to verse eight. So seven is this um, lead disc and there was a woman sitting inside the basket. That's seven. Verse eight, then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. So in verse eight, I'm quoting from um, Merrill Unger's translation and um, amplification of of this particular verse. Having announced concerning the woman, this is wickedness, 
Thereupon he, the interpreting angel, cast her, the woman, into the middle of the ephah and cast the lead stone weight upon its opening. She has been all along sitting or dwelling in the ephah, uh, contending, but now the time has come for commercial Babylon to be removed or to be destroyed. The woman tries to escape from it, but she does not want to be removed with it, and so shares its inevitable fate. Therefore, she tries to escape. Let's read the rest of nine through, just up to nine. We read, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. So you have the picture, an ephah, a woman inside, and a lead covering on top. And now we have two women who have wings. And it stopped me dead in my tracks. I went back and I read it again. I went back and read it again. And I've said from this pulpit for 40 years that there are only male angels. Nowhere in the scripture do you find a female angel. And I walked out, Mary and Tracy are in the office. I said, are there any female angels? And they both said at the same time, no. And I said, well, let me read you this. And I read about two women who had wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up uh, the basket between heaven and earth. And both of them went like this. And then Tim came out of his, his office. I said, Tim, are there any female angels? He says, of course not. And then I read him the verse, and he goes, and I said, this is a mystery, and it's troubling me. Uh, Mary, I want you to do a word study search now, but I wasn't satisfied. I had to um, check this out a little bit more clearly and here's, here's the answer to this particular problem. And it was McGee who's, who set me straight on it. Uh, well, we may be sure that, speaking about the angels, that they represent angels of evil because they are associated with and protective of the woman in the ephah And the angel had said of her, this is wickedness. But this was a clincher for me. They had wings like the wings of a stork. Now this is where everything changes. Because uh, when you read about an angel, it doesn't tell you that his wings look like a a stork. They just say they had wings. Uh, This is a powerful uh, saying. In scripture, the stork is not a picture of an angel it is a dirty bird, an unclean bird, and in the Old Testament, there were things that were considered clean that you could eat, and then there was a list of things that were unclean that you couldn't eat. Guess which category the stork fits into? It was an unclean animal. So what we have here is me feeling really good again because I haven't been lying to you for 40 years that there's only male angels, and show me in the scripture where there's a female ones. 
And uh, by the time I came back out of my office, Mary had it figured out too. She says, you need to read about storks. I said, I just did. So uh, verse nine, the point is that uh, they're going to move her, verse nine, now the last two verses, 10 and 11. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Now, next to my Bible where it says Shinar, the next in the, in the side margin, it says Babylon. Babylon, um, at this point, I'm gonna have you turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 14 and the rest of our study is gonna be about Babylon this evening. First of all, in chapter 14 in verse, well, let's pick it up in verse six, eight. We have three angels. The first angel in verse six, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now let me just stop and make this point again. God always has a witness to represent him. In the Old Testament, it was supposed to be Israel. Sometimes they did good, sometimes they didn't. Then, when they rejected the Messiah, um, it talks about a light being given to the Gentiles. Well, we're Gentiles. And the first Gentile to get saved was Cornelius. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a bushel basket. You're salt. And our job is to be a witness and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our witness will end at the rapture of the church. But that doesn't mean God still isn't sending witnesses. We know that I believe right after the rapture, for the next 1,260 days, we have Moses and Elijah. But we're in chapter 14 now. If you go back to chapter 11, we find in verse seven, now when they had finished their testimony, which as we read in verse three was for 1,260 days, three and a half years, Verse seven, when I had finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war with them, overcome them, and kill them. They're their main witness. So now, who does the Lord use to preach the gospel? An angel. It says so right here. The everlasting gospel to preach to all those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And I, I personally believe it's a fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, where it says, this gospel shall be preached into all the world and then the end shall come. So here, clearly it is to all nations. And that was the first one. The second one, um, in verse eight, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drunk, or drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So now we're introduced to Babylon. And if you turn to chapter 18, 
chapter 18, says that this woman carried by these two women with stork wings in an ephah is representative of commercialism and commerce and trade. And that's very important with, with our study here because what does it tell us? Well, number one, Babylon has to be rebuilt if it's gonna fall. Everybody with me? It has to be there before it can fall. So this is God's judgment on rebuilt Babylon. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Notice, and has become a habitation of demons uh, for every prison, for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hatred bird. Storks in view. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so I'm just gonna stop right there, and ancient Babylon, um, Saddam Hussein, before he was killed, was trying to rebuild Babylon. And uh, he got sidetracked with his own palace that he was building for himself. And you know the story, they eventually caught him. So it, it can't be that place because it has to be a port town. If you look at verse 17, uh, 17 and 18, talking about her destruction, verse 17 says, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing, and every shipmaster and all who travel by sea, whether they're sailors, and as many as trade by sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. All right, I'm gonna back up a little bit here. What we know so far is that it's very, very late. As I look around the world today, it has to be in the plains of Sinar. And that's where ancient Babylon would have been in that particular region. But it can't be the Babylon that Saddam Hussein was trying to build because it's inland and it's not a port city. It has to be a port city. And as I look around the world today, and I think what is, what is these most luxurious, opulent, wealthiest city uh, in the world, because it's so late, it has to be up and running right now. Now I'm gonna go back 20 years. I'm in India. And 
as I'm getting ready to fly out, I'm just killing time walking around, I see all these advertisements um, for Indian workers to move to the United Arab Emirates, in particular to the city of Dubai. And what caught my attention was part of the advertisement is they're in the process of building the largest building in the world. Now this was all part of a video presentation that I was gonna show you. And I was, this the first time it came into my head, what are the chances that Dubai would ever turn into Babylon? And that was in the mid 90s. And a whole lot has changed since then. So as I thought about that, I became persuaded in my research that it indeed was. And what I had brought to the the, the study tonight that I was gonna put up on the screens for you, Dubai, if you go down to verse 11, the merchants of the earth are bemoaning Uh, Let's go back to verse nine. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication, by the way, that's literally. Um, um, I'll say this a couple times. It isn't a play on words of uh, their, their fornication. Prostitution is open in Dubai. They say it's illegal, but um, um, any gas station you go to, grocery store, bank, any hotel that you go into at night, um, they're available, and it's open, and the police just look the other way. They say it's illegal, but it's all part. The wealthiest people in the world visit and vacation in Dubai, and in 60 years, in 1960, they were known for one thing, and that was what they exported. It was pearls. That they were a very simple uh, city on the coast. But if you look down in verse 11, where they're bemoaning, standing at a distance for fear, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones, and this is the only place in the Bible where it's talking about wealth, that pearls is interjected here. And I find that very interesting. Fine linen, purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citrate wood, every kind of objects of ivory, every kind of object, the most precious wood. Okay, these, these, what I'm gonna hold up and just tell you a little bit about is in a 60 year period of time going from absolutely nothing except this export of pearls, to a city of four million people. And um, they have created, these are called, you can't see it, um, I'll just explain it to you. They actually were, they wanted more real estate on the ocean, so they actually dredged the ocean, and this is all, beautifully multi-million dollar homes in the shape of a palm tree. Um, There was a program at one time called Modern Marvels. Any of you remember it? 
They did a special on this. And they showed them creating this. After they, they made two of these, they also made one, a third one, of the, all the world. And um, so there's a couple pictures that describe that and show that. The tallest building in the world, I, I don't think it is, I think somebody just built one about two feet taller, so they could say they, theirs is the tallest one. But this is a picture, and it's absolutely gorgeous, of the tallest building in the world. The next one that I would have put up on the screen at the time was, um, this is also built out. It's the largest and most opulent seven-star hotel. You can have a five. We're familiar with going up to five, that, then you're at the top. This one's a seven. Cost you seven. When I last read about it, it cost you 75 bucks just to walk in the door if you wanted to see something. Um, all the implements in your bathroom, solid gold. And the amount of building that has taken place is literally off the chart. It has the third, second to third busiest airport in the world as I speak. The last I checked, it was third. I bet you it's up more to that now. This right here is the largest shopping mall in the world. And inside of it, um, their Disneyland, which they have, a Disneyland, is eight times larger than our Disneyland in Florida. Eight times larger. This, this here has an in, indoor ski resort with snow. And you can go downhill skiing in this plaza, in this largest mall. It's bigger than Mall of, mall of America. It has to be a port city, so I was going to put up this picture, which is basically their port and all their containers. And I had three or four of them, um, different pictures of it, but it has to be a port city. They have reproductions, miniature style, but it's really quite large, of the seven wonders of the world. And of course, one of them was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Now, you think to yourself, I want to go to verse 13 at this time. This has never been done before in human history, where a city has been built, just go back 60 years, to go from nothing to the opulence, is the the only word that I can think of, and... um, everything that Dubai stands for. I remember, I've told the story before, I'll tell it again. I was having lunch at our our last Pilgrim's Cafe and I overheard um, this guy talk to his girlfriend and he had mentioned that he was from Dubai and my ears went boing (laughs) and I I said, can I sit with you guys? Did you say you're from Dubai? And he says, yeah, I grew up in Dubai. And I say, if, if you would, could describe to me, I'm interested in Dubai for my own personal reasons. But if you lived there, how would you describe Dubai? He goes, oh, that's easy. It's Wall Street, Las Vegas, and Hollywood all wrapped into one. 
You can get whatever you want, whenever you want it, in Dubai. Now, one of the things that um, I want to draw your attention to is in verse 13, it continues on to um, what they have, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. And notice, and bodies and the souls of men. And I thought, the souls of men? And um, we did a word study on that. And a better translation is slaves of men. Or another translation is the psyche of a person. Okay, what I'm going to tell you next is mind-boggling. How can you build this, and it's under constant construction all the time, in just 60 years, and the answer to that question is, they have anywhere in the last numbers, they keep going up from seven to 10 million, and I'll use the word slaves, because they are slaves, that live outside in the suburbs in um, temperatures that are unbearable. I had a three minute, four minute video of just, it's called the slaves of Dubai. Up to 10 million of them, slave workers. They get $5 a week. But when they, they're primarily from India, Pakistan, and the Philippines. And they come in with this promise that they're gonna get all this money, and um, they're just taking it in with the advertisement, but as soon as they fly in, let's say from India, you have to hand over your passport to the person who is gonna give you a job. And he keeps it, and um, uh, you cannot get it back until you've worked for two years. Well, they keep finding ways to not give these things back. I have footage that shows maybe 40, 50 people in one room the size of my office, just crammed together in this heat. Uh, bathroom facilities for 50 people, just one. Now we're talking anywhere between seven and 10 million slaves that are there. And then I got thinking about what got me started on this in the first place, and that was, it intrigued me, the tallest building in the world. And of course, the first Babylon was what? Their attempt to make a building that would reach into the heavens. And I got thinking, who was that guy? Who did that? And the answer is, who was it? Nimrod. What does it say about Nimrod? His personality. It says he was a hunter of men. But when you do a word study on that, it's more a hunter of having control over the psyche of a man. And that's really what Nimrod was all about. That's what he was known for. Where are you going with all this, Dwight? Isn't it interesting that just a couple days ago, we had LL, which is Israeli airline, land in Dubai. And we just, this week, made a peace deal, the first one, with United Arab Emirates. I find that extremely interesting. Especially, and here's my point, with all this, if there is gonna be a one world government and a one world monetary system, I don't think the Antichrist 
home is going to be in Jerusalem. I think it's going to be on the top floor of that tower in Dubai. And the dirty little secret is that it's supposed to be uh, an uh, Arab with all their rules of righteousness and so on and so forth. No, this is the, the largest hypocrisy ever because this is where the billionaires of the world go and that's where they party. And they party hardy. And um, we, we find that the souls of men here, the condition that, that it does to these slaves, if, um, I'm going to show it maybe next week just so you can see a little bit better when it talks about what it does psychologically to your mind. Uh, the suicide rate, of course, is off the charts. They're told, this much I remember, you're, you'll work six days a week from nine to five. You'll get this much money. When they got there, they say, well, that's not true. You're working um, uh, 16 to 17 hour days, and you're working seven days a week. So it's nonstop rotation, no, no, no breaks. And this is ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. And you can only take that for so long. And you begin to get your psyche messed with. And knowing that the only thing you have to look forward to is going back into this tremendous heat that's there. Um, so I found it interesting here that it would, and the bodies and, and the psyche or the souls of men were also part of, of um, Babylon. I believe that Dubai is Babylon. And um, because they have a, a whole section that I was going to show you just on their financial district. And it's about commerce. Everything we're reading about here, they're bemoaning the fact because all their riches and treasure is gone. Everybody, in other words, who is in the business world doing business with Dubai, it's gone. Others have tried to make arguments for other places like Rome and so on and so forth. And I just tell them, no, Rome is not on the coast. It has to be a port city. And um, the airport, I I said earlier, is the second or third busiest in the world. So, let's go back to Zechariah. We've gone through four and five. I really thought I was going to finish 15 minutes earlier. But I can, I can melt 15 minutes. No problem. Let's read 10 and 11 again with a complete understanding of this vision that's been given to Zechariah. Commerce is going to be judged. When they came back from Babylon... The Jewish people were into commerce. And so the Lord is taking an ephah and puts this woman that's called wickedness in there. And what did we read? Every foul spirit, every demon um, is in charge of what's happening in this place where in verse 10 it says, Wait till it's ready, and then take wickedness there. So in verse 10, he said, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. To build a house for what? Well, for this wickedness. And when it's ready, and it's 
been ready since beginning of 1960. It will be set there on its space. So as we finish chapter five tonight and um, we see this being fulfilled in our time, but again, the thing that um, captures my attention is that just this week, we signed a peace agreement with Dubai. And that's mind-boggling to me, the timing of it. And it is up and running and ready to go. It is the crown jewel and uh, probably of all the cities on, on the planet. I'll show a little clip that'll just show you the magnitude of um, the opulence that's there. Let's finish with this. When this evil system is removed, Israel will become truly the holy land, and when wickedness is destroyed from the whole earth, the kingdom of God will come to the earth. What a glorious prospect this is as you and I live in this present evil age. If I would tell you, does does it look like wickedness is getting worse day by day? We'd have to answer what? Yeah, you don't have to be a genius to see that one. And every day that goes by, just a little bit more radical. And what it's doing to a lot of people who don't know the Lord and they're psychic. And um, how, how they're dealing with it. And many of them, uh, for good reasons, um, are disenchanted. Businesses are closing down. Some will never reopen. That was one of the main stories today on on the news. And the ones that are open, they don't have anywhere near the business, a third of the business that they used to have. And they're going under because they don't have customers. They're open, but nobody wants to go in. Why? Because of the fear factor. And uh, when, when, when we're being lied to on a daily basis about this virus, quote, pandemic. My friends, there is no pandemic worldwide. Sweden didn't open at all. They stayed, I should say they stayed open, and they have the same numbers as as, uh, uh, countries that completely closed down. Okay, I could get upset right now, so I better quit. So why don't we stand and pray? Lord, your word is so accurate when it tells us things to come and to be alive and living and actually watch them unfolding right before our eyes that we can... I feel very, very strongly that uh, it can only be on the plains of Shinar and the only city that comes close to describing the wealth and the opulence is Dubai. And as we, again, Lord, see things transpiring, we're so grateful that your word addresses the smallest of issues and um, how you're going to deal with them. So as we go out tonight, Lord, we go out with mixed feelings, knowing that you're sovereign, you have everything in control. And um, I do pray we'd use that as an opportunity to talk to our friends so they would have a biblical perspective on what's happening right now and your plans with it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.